loving sairam and greetings from prashanti nilayam this is my eighth talk in the veda walk through series last time i dealt with some aspects relating to the end of life quoting some mantras in english translation of course from ramundo panikkar's monumental book i shall now move away from panikkar's book and by way of slowly winding down the series i shall now mention a few related points the first thing i would like to point out is that though individual vedic rituals might be directed at specific deities and all that the grander aspect of creation and the creator are never lost sight of we must understand that the vedas were meant to cater to a wide spectrum of people as the custodian of the vedas the brahmins were expected to preside over various rituals performed by ordinary folk and the brahmins were expected to guide these people by drawing their attention to the practical aspects of dharma i shall point out some examples of this shortly but for the moment however i wish to highlight the fact that where the brahmins themselves were concerned they were expected to focus on the highest aspects of vedic philosophy Thus it is that we find in the Vedas many hymns directly in praise of the supreme one Here for example are some verses from the Rig Veda where the hymn is based on the rhetorical question who is it that we should worship These are some of the hymns in English translation He who bestows life force and hardy vigor whose ordinances even the gods obey whose shadow is immortal life what god shall we adore with our oblation who by his grandeur has emerged sole sovereign of every living thing that breathes and slumbers he who is the lord of man and four-legged creatures what god shall we adore with our oblation to him of right belong by his own power the snow-clad mountains the world stream and the sea His arms are the four quarters of the sky. What God shall we adore with our oblation? O Father of the earth, by fixed laws ruling, O Father of heavens, pray protect us. O Father of the great and shining waters, what God shall we adore with our oblation? That is very poetic, is it not? The idea of an absolute God who is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent is present as an undercurrent throughout the vedas though it shows up explicitly only in the more philosophical passages hail the sarvesara the supreme one is extolled in the svetasvatara upanishad thus on all sides i on all sides face on all sides arms on all sides feet he god the one creates heaven and earth forging them together with arms and wings he who is the source and origin of the deities the lord of all rudra the mighty sage who produced in olden days the golden germ may he endow us with purity of mind without beginning and end is he in the midst of chaos he is and brings forth all things creator is he and sole provider of manifold forms when a man knows god he is freed from all fetters 
in the mahanarayana upanishad which incidentally we hear chanted often in swami's presence it is said the sound that is uttered in the beginning of the veda the sound that is established also in the end that which is beyond its absorption in nature that is the supreme lord narayana universal god supreme word imperishable on every side supreme eternal narayana universal lord we adore the master of all the lord of the soul eternal benevolent and immobile narayana the mighty one to be known the self of all the supreme goal narayana the light supreme the self narayana the supreme narayana supreme essence of brahman narayana the supreme and so on it goes the mandukya upanishad puts it all very crisply thus this is the lord of all the knower of all the inner controller this is the source of all the beginning and the end of all beings in the prashna upanishad the supreme lord is described thus he is the fire that burns he is the sun he is the plenteous rain he is the wind he is the earth matter and god being and non being he the immortal and in the taittiriya upanishad that we have already reviewed he is described in the same tone that from which beings are born that by which when born they live that into which when dying they enter that you should desire to know that is brahman one cannot talk about the vedas without some reference at least to the bhagavad gita the gita can naturally be described in many ways but for the present i would choose to describe it as the direct authentication of vedic wisdom by god himself god in human form as lord sri krishna not only corroborates all that is said in the vedas in various places but also goes far beyond by opening up a simple path by following which anyone can if he or she so chooses attain god by following just a few very simple rules basically the gita reveals to man how by loving god man can actually attain god without jeopardy to his normal call of duty and that the god man so attains is nothing but the brahman whom the vedas extol there is a very important point here that needs to be underscored the vedas essentially told man follow god and you will reach god very true indeed but then for many dharma may appear like an inconvenient set of rules so what does krishna do he says to man instead just love me and be devoted to me i shall take care of everything does that mean that man can forget dharma not at all however man now thinks of the loving god all the time and tries to please him god is so wonderful loving and compassionate and all that that it is such a joy to please god thus driven by his love for god man starts following dharma almost unconsciously dharma is no longer a burden but something that is merely incidental creation swami says is a divine play involving the lord and the devotee krishna was the first one to make that plain besides instructing man how to please the lord 
I remember very distinctly what Swami said when inaugurating the Samskrita Sadhanam in Bangalore in January 2001. This is what Swami said in effect. God has everything. Being the creator of everything, there is no need for God to want to have this or that. God does not incarnate to ask man for service or favors. God incarnates so that man may have God in his radar screen. When God is physically present directly in front of his eyes, man feels an urge to serve God. That is the opportunity that the avatar presents to man. Some people are not quick on the uptake and so God asks people sometimes directly and sometimes indirectly, Will you do this for me? And so on. We hardly realize how much Swami is doing so that we might improve ourselves. Many years ago, late Dr. Fani Banda asked Swami a question. By the way, for those of you who are not aware, I should mention that late Dr. Fani Banda was a renowned dentist in Bombay. He was a good amateur magician and on top of it all, he was a good photographer and film cameraman. It is thanks to Dr. Fani Banda that we in the Prashanti Digital Studio have reels and reels of archival film that are wonderful scenes that we shall never again see. Getting back to Dr. Fani Banda and his question, he asked Swami, Swami, what is the purpose of the Sri Satyasai organization? Swami replied, nothing. That of course knocked the good doctor flat out. When he recovered, he gently asked, Swami, nothing? How can that be? Swami then smiled and replied, I founded it so that people could improve themselves. A very profound reply and when we think about it, so many of the activities that revolve around Swami and the ashram are really opportunities for various people to improve themselves. I personally find this absolutely remarkable. I mean, otherwise, how would so many people with expertise in finance, administration, teaching, etc., etc., get an opportunity to serve in the Divine Presence? In his earlier incarnation as Lord Krishna, our Swami said this, and this is very important. I now quote from the Bhagavad Gita. On me fix thy mind. To me give thy devotion. To me offer thy sacrifice. To me make thy obeisance. Thus having attached thyself to me and made me thy end, to me indeed thou shalt come. Even the vilest of sinners shall be counted as righteous if he turns to me with undivided devotion, for he has chosen the right path. These are incredible pronouncements that only the Lord can make. And just listen to this guarantee once again in the Bhagavad Gita. As for those who exclusively worship me, who meditate on me with no other thought, and who are ever steadfast, I bear entirely the burden of their welfare. By the way, all these remarkable slokas are from the ninth chapter of the Gita. It is no surprise then that in the post-Krishna period there was a great following for the Lord in the form of Krishna. Indeed, many saints did exactly what was prescribed and attained precisely the destiny promised. In short, I would say using a modern idiom that the Bhagavad Gita is nothing short of Vedanta for dummies. 
I'm sure with all these remarks, you would be able to recall innumerable statements of Swami, where all these assurances have not only been reiterated, but even exceeded. In other words, Swami is giving bargains far exceeding Krishna's offers. That really is what the Lord's compassion is all about. Changing the gear somewhat, one theme that occurs right across the Vedas is sacrifice. The Sanskrit word for sacrifice is Tyaga and there is a Vedic passage extolling sacrifice that Swami often quotes. In the Vedas, the theme of sacrifice may be seen in two distinct perspectives. One of these is what I would like to call the cosmic external and the other sublime internal. As is to be expected, the two concepts are in fact related. Let me start with what I refer to as the cosmic external aspect. The basic idea here is that the human is but one cog in a massive engine called the cosmos. The cosmos has innumerable entities ranging from stars and galaxies at one end to insects, plants, animals and so on at the other end. Everything in God's creation has a purpose for its existence and plays a role in the cosmic scheme of things, though we might not be aware of it. In this sense, not only the universe, but every single entity in it, be it big or small, has a definite purpose for its existence. This, of course, goes against the belief common amongst many modern scientists that the universe simply happens to exist and has no purpose whatsoever. The important point here is the interconnectivity of existence. The point needs to be emphasized, especially in today's world, when many hold that man is supreme, that everything exists for man's benefit, and that man can even do what he wants. Take, for example, the question of biodiversity. Bioscientists have recognized that biodiversity in nature is very good for ecosystems and for mankind too, and must not be disturbed. Genetic engineering, it is feared, would greatly harm biodiversity by making just a few species of plants dominate. This would be clearly going against the structure of nature, but the protagonists of genetically modified seeds could not care less about such considerations. Another example. There are many coral reefs around the world, some of them truly famous. However, their very fame has spelled their doom. Heavily promoted as tourist destinations, many of these reefs are in danger of being completely wiped out. It was not realized until recently that coral reefs play a vital role in preserving balance in marine ecosystems. They are the breeding ground for many marine species, which in turn support many types of fishes. Damage to coral systems has caused, in many places, heavy destruction of many species of fishes. I can cite several examples, but I shall not at the moment. Maybe in a talk later, I shall deal extensively with ecosystems. Presently, the point I want to make is that man's superior abilities does not give him any special license to disturb eco-balance in any way. God has given man superior abilities 
not for damaging the environment, but to become conscious of God and move towards Him. Misuse of divine capabilities endowed by God to man for a special purpose is a great sin. Indeed, this is where sacrifice comes into the picture. In the Gita, the Lord tells Arjuna, At the time of creation, the Creator told mankind, Through sacrifice, thou shalt prosper and propagate. This shall be the milch cow kamadenu of thy desires. This is verse 10 in chapter 4. Here, a sacrifice is described at a level that most people would grasp. It is a payment for favors one wants. Continuing, Krishna says, Worship is a form of sacrifice. Worship the power, of, the powers of nature, the devas, and they in turn will nourish thee. Through this synergy, thou canst attain the highest good. Here, sacrifice is commended in order to achieve a balanced coexistence with nature. The word sacrifice normally makes people to say, I am being asked to simply give up something that I have earned with hard work. Is this not unfair? Krishna dispels all such notions. Maybe the person might think that he or she has worked hard, but there can be no gains unless there is the grace of God. Thus, what people think they are sacrificing is really something that has been given to them by God. They are not giving away some material thing of theirs, but something given to them by God. Make a note of that. To make sure that this idea is not forgotten, Krishna tells Arjuna, Fostered by sacrifice, the deities of nature will, unasked, bestow on thee all the enjoyment thou couldst possibly desire. But he who enjoys the gifts of the gods without offering sacrifice in return, is verily a thief. Food is one of the great gifts of nature. We do not realize it, but all food comes really from nature and not the supermarket. Reminding man of this, Krishna says, The virtuous who partake of food that remains after the sacrifice is offered are free from sin. But the selfish who eat alone without sharing their food with others are in fact feeding on sin. These slokas are, by the way, from the fourth chapter of the Gita, where Krishna really goes to town on the subject of sacrifice. Here are some more slokas from that same chapter. Know that all action originates from the Supreme One who is imperishable and all-pervading. And in sacrificial action, this Supreme Spirit is consciously present. O Partha, one who does not revolve with the wheel of sacrifice but seeks instead mundane pleasures through the gratification of senses, lives in vain. I am sure you would have noticed that all that I have said so far about sacrifice is actually connected with the so-called external aspect. We receive from outside and so we must also give. Better it is to give more than what we receive. One important thing to remember is that what we give or sacrifice is something that would bring material advantage in some form to us if we did not give that away. Thus, the term sacrifice is used in the traditional sense. 
Now, in the Vedas, the word sacrifice is intimately tied up with yajna and yaga. And yajna and yaga call to our mind the spectacles of a huge sacred fire, the sacrificial fire as it is sometimes called. I am sure many of you must have seen yajnas being performed at Prashanti Nilayam at the time of Dasra. We see then priests pouring not only ghee but cooked rice and many material objects into the fire. What does all this symbolism really mean? How does making offerings to the fire amount to sacrifice? Let us first hear Swami on this subject. And I quote, The sages used to perform yajnas for gaining mastery over the senses. The real nature and meaning of yajna is the overcoming of all our bad tendencies, throwing them into the fire of sacrifice. What is sacrifice? What is it that one must give up? Is it the transient wealth that one has? Sacrifice means giving up one's desires, greed and extreme miserliness. Unless you sacrifice desire, anger, greed and so on, you cannot attain divinity. End of quote. So you see, that's the real point. Yajnas are performed for achieving inner purity through sacrifice. And this is where what I referred to earlier as the sublime internal comes into the picture. However, it must be added that in Vedic times, people did perform yajnas for propitiating deities and getting boons from them. For example, Emperor Dasaratha performed the famous Putrakamishti Yaga so that he might be blessed with children. This is the external aspect of Vedic ritual. But the beauty is, as Swami sometimes points out, all these rituals have a sublime internal aspect too. This brings me to my next point, which is about fire. In the scriptures, the term fire is sometimes used in a generic sense. Let us go back to the Gita for a moment and listen to some more from Krishna. The few slokas I am now going to quote are all from the fifth chapter. Some offer sacrifice to the devas alone, while others more evolved offer the ego as a sacrifice in the fire of knowledge. Some offer the senses such as hearing in the fire of sense control, while others offer sound and other objects of perception to the fire of the senses. Others again, kindled by wisdom, sacrifice all the activities of the senses and of the vital energy, prana, in the fire of self-restraint. Some perform sacrifice using material objects, some through austerity, others via yoga, and some again make the study of the scriptures and the acquisition of knowledge of the scriptures their sacrifice. All these are born of piety. Yet others, abstemious in food, practice sacrifice by spiritualizing their vital energy. All these know what sacrifice is and use it to purge themselves completely of sin. Thus, many and various are the sacrifices enunciated by the Vedas. Know them all to spring from the action of the mind, the senses and the body. Once thou knowest this, thou canst win release. All the slokas I have just quoted from the Bhagavad Gita relate to what I earlier referred to as the internal aspect or sublime internal. Do you remember my earlier quote of Swami who says that sacrifice really means giving up one's undesirable habits and traits? 
when one gives up a bad habit like getting angry see one can say one is sacrificing anger in the sacred fire of spiritual knowledge that is the spirit in which many of these shlokas are to be understood i think this gives me an opportunity to narrate a small incident and bring this talk to a close this happened way back in 1995 around october i think when i paid a three week visit to new zealand on an invitation from the sai organization there the high point was the national conference which it so happened coincided with the deepavali festival the spiritual convener of the new zealand sai organization had a nice idea it was to have a fire and everybody was supposed to write on a piece of paper one or more undesirable habits that the person wanted to get rid of everyone was made to stand in a queue and one by one people went to the fire said a small prayer to swami and then threw the paper into the fire the idea was to sacrifice bad habits with fire as the witness i thought this was an excellent way of performing a yagna in modern times sticking closely to the basic principle stated by swami announcements were made about the fire and all that at lunch time and devotees went round with pencil and paper wondering what they would give up it was very much like people going to banaras in the old days taking a dip in the ganges and then giving up some favorite vegetable what used to happen was that people would sacrifice a vegetable that they that they did not like anyway i was remembering all this when i fell into a conversation with a devotee he is a very good person and he had worked a lot for the national convention he also took good care of me he had a long conversation with me about what he should give up hearing him out i suggested that he should give up eating meat and drinking alcohol he did not like what i told him and argued with me a lot for my part i tried to explain why swami had asked devotees to shun this meat and drink he went away saying he would think about it came the evening and the fire was lit one by one people were walking up to the fire and throwing the piece of paper they had with them this man came to me and showed me the paper he had with him on it was a promise to give up totally meat and alcohol he walked to the fire tossed the paper into the fire came back to me with a huge grin and gave me a huge bear hug he was a big fellow and the bear hug literally crushed me but it was worth it he was so happy and i too was happy for him so you see yagyas are relevant in this day and age too especially in their sublime internal aspect i hope you will agree with me that's all for today thank you and jai sai ram ಸಪ್ತಪರ್ಯಂತೆ ವಿಶ್ವಾರೋಪಣೆ ಬಿಭ್ರಾತ ವಾಚಸ್ಪದರ್ಬಲಾತ್ಯಧಾತು ಪುನರೇ ವಾಚಸ್ಪದೆ ದೇವೇನ ಮನಸ ಸಹ ವಸೋಷ್ಪದೆ ನಿರಾಮಯ ಮಯ್ಯೇವಾಸ್ತು ಮಯೇ ಶ್ರುತ
ಇಹೇವಾಭಿವಿದಾನೋ ಭಯಾತ್ಮೇಯಿವಜ್ಜಯಾಚಸ್ಪದರ್ನಿಯಚ್ಛತು ಮಯ್ಯೇವಾಸ್ತು ಮಯೇಶುತ ಉಪಾಹೋತೋವಾಚಸ್ಪತಿಪಾಸ್ಮಾಚಸ್ಪತಿಕ್ವಜತಾಶ್ರುತೆ ಮಹಿಮಾಶ್ರುತೆನಿರಾಶಿ ವಿಮಾಶರ ಪರ್ಜನ್ಯಂ ಭೋರೇಧಾ ವಿಮಾಶ್ವರ ಪೃಥಿವೇಂಭೋರೇವರ್ಪಸ ಜ್ಯಾಕೇಪರೇಣೋನಮಾಶ್ಮಾನಂತನ್ವೃಧೆ ವೇಡುರ್ವರೆಯೋರಾಧೇರಪದ್ವೇಷಾಂಸ್ಯಾಗ್ರೇ ವೃಕ್ಷಯ್ಯಗಾವರಿಷಸ್ವಜಾನಾನುಸ್ಫುರ ಶರಮರ್ಚನ್ ಚುಭುಂ ಶರೋಮಸ್ಮಜ್ಜಾವಯದ್ಯುಮೀಂದ್ರಾಚಾಜ್ಯಾಂಚ ಪೃಥಿವೀಂಚಾಂತಸ್ತಿಷ್ಠಿತೇಜನಂಚಾಸ್ರಾವಂಚಾಂತಸ್ತಿಷ್ಠತು ಮುಂಜಾಯಿತೆ ವಿಮಾಶರ ಪಿತರ ಪರ್ಜನ್ಯಂ ಶಾತವೃಷ್ಟ್ಯಂ